host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me here in studio is my good buddy, Thomas Drans. Tom, what's going on, man? I'm doing well, my friend. The uh, I'm excited. It's a good night of hockey tonight. It's a really good day of football tomorrow. It's just a good sports segment of the calendar. You it know is. what I mean? Like, I feel like every evening I make plans to do something, and then I'm like, oh, really, I just want to watch five games all at the same really time. Really, I want to follow my college basketball parlays. Well, yeah. There were great college games last night, which made up for the lack of NHL games. Which, How does that happen? Oh, Jeff Merrick tweeted it out. It was actually like a, there's a logistical explanation know, where but... because of the rinks and Thanksgiving and the teams that were in Europe, they couldn't structure it accordingly. But yeah. Yeah, it was a missed opportunity, certainly. Although it is very exciting because we've got a lot of games Wednesday night. And then Friday, for Black Friday, there's going to be... That's one of my favorite days of the year because there's all the matinee hockey and stuff. It, 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 you know, just to quickly get into this, though, like the NBA had the midseason tournament, which has been a smash for television ratings. You know what I mean? Like that has been a huge success. That's the only thing happening last night other than the Maui Invitational. Which is big for me, but nobody else. And there's no NHL games. There's no signature NHL games. Just makes no sense. Yeah. Well, that's okay. We're getting here to getting together. <laughs> I'm not here okay today. with it, Dimitri. I'm not okay with it. No. Well, what I'm what I'm okay with is we're getting here together here today. We're gonna talk hockey for an hour. Let's go before you and I go down south to celebrate American a great American pastime, watching football all day, sweating our fantasy teams and parlays and all that good stuff. And, so <laughs> and then actually be... going to the game. And then actually being in the rink to watch. Well, we're going to go watch a football game, and then the next day we're going to watch Crack and Canucks. And then the next day we're going to come back, but I'm also going to spend much of the day being like, but do you want to go see Washington State versus Washington? I'm willing to be talking to Twitter. <laughs> we, we, should, we should put up a poll for the listeners. Yeah, if yeah. they vote yes, <laughs> and enough, uh, enough volume will go. So here's the plan today. We're approaching the 20-game mark here, mm. right, which is about a quarter of the way through the season. Quick math there. I think we're reaching that sample, right? We generally talk about how we want to see somewhere between 20 to 25 games worth of performance, both on an individual and a team level, before we start feeling like we can make definitive statements and feel like we have a good grasp of how good or bad things really are. Sorry, you're, you're a 20-game guy? I, I I mean, the more the better, but I think like... Yeah, I'm a 30-game guy. Re- okay, well... I'm I, I'm It's my ironclad... It's not the best for content business, though. You know, no, we, I know. we can't be like, hey, let's not form any opinions on any of these players or teams for the next couple of weeks. Here. I, Give us some time. I okay? still do the trending thing right now, like with, with the Canucks talking about the Canucks a lot. They're trending toward being this, but I need to see it for 10 more games. I go kind of in 10 games. game increments. Where, I think that's reasonable. And I don't think at any point, really, I, I say stuff with like 100%. Like very much conviction or, or, or definitively like. Right. Obviously, you can kind of get a feel for where things are going, but for the most part, I think 10-game increments particularly give you a good feel for where things are headed, kind of the trajectory or patterns that are forming. And we'll we'll talk a little bit here about the actual performance. I think what we're going to revisit, though, is our watchability rankings from the fourth season because right before the year started, you and I got together. We did a two-hour marathon PDO cast where we ranked the teams from 32 to 1, in typical fashion, when you and I get together, we spent way too much time lingering on the bottom five or six teams. And then by the time we got to the end, we were just rushing through. We were like, Colorado, McKinnon, McCarr, New Jersey, Jack Hughes. <laughs> <laughs> They're great. Yeah, yeah. Woohoo! And then, uh, but you know what? We in, got a lot wrong. Well, in revisiting it, maybe that was the right way to do it. Mm. Because this is the takeaway that I had from looking at our list. I think we were too low 
on the low teams and we were too high on the high teams. Yeah. Like if you think about the watchability other than maybe Colorado and even they've had a bit of an uneven season because they're just like when they lose, they they lose really poorly or in embarrassing fashion like they did in, in Nashville the other night. The top teams haven't delivered, right? New Jersey, partly due to injury, certainly, but 5-on-5 has not been the team we expected. Buffalo, they haven't been the offensive juggernaut that we came to love last year. Edmonton, I mean, we could do a full episode, and we have on this show of everything that's gone wrong for them. I mean, I can't look away. Does that count as watchable? It does, but I think... I want to differentiate, though, because I think from the Oilers' perspective, like the game against Florida the other night was on Monday night. Yeah. I watched. Everyone was watching, it felt like, on my timeline. But it was, for the most part, like, it's like doom watching. Yeah, 100%. Right? It's, yeah, that's such a good way of putting it. And it, it doesn't feel great. Like, I'm not like, it's not entertaining to me. Well, and, and McDavid being compromised to some extent. More right. or less, he scored right? two goals in that game, I, I, know, I think. I but no, but you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. we're not seeing as many... Um, event horizon, you know, moments where he like folds the paper and is just in a totally different p- part of the ice than any human being should uh, have been able to travel yep. to. Like we're just seeing those, you know, high end explosives from him somewhat less frequently, and and I think that makes a huge difference. It does, yeah, certainly for watchability. Yeah, um, it looks much more mortal than we're accustomed to. Let's go from from the top again. Or from, I guess, the bottom in this case. Number 32, San Jose. You had an argument that you I think, think... I think we got this way wrong. San Jose, we put them there because we quite rightly knew that this was far and away the worst team in yes. We We got the... We underrated how bad they would be. We underrated how bad they would yeah. be. Or, or I think what we underrated wasn't necessarily how bad they'd be because I think we knew that they'd be historically bad. I think we underrated the perversity of watching this sub NHL level team get absolutely destroyed by the best players in the world. Like the fact that right. for a str- for a month this season teams with a Vancouver Pittsburgh would waltz into the shark tank and be playing like all-star game quality defense and just putting up, you know, touchdown and a field goal against them. Um, I, I find, I found that I couldn't look away I was like tracking their betting odds really closely just out of curiosity to see like how the market handled such an anomaly. Uh, I thought it was a ton of fun. One thing I'll say is, you know, they get Kalen Addison. I I think they've played better the last couple of weeks. And all of a sudden they look more like just like a, a, a bad, an ordinary bad NHL team. And now I have less interest in it. Yeah. But early in the season, it's not a sideshow as much. I would say, I would say the sharks are like third or fourth on my list of teams I've watched the most this season, simply because there was a spectacle to the dramatic way they were losing games. Well, the most entertaining game the Oilers have played this year was that game they lost in San right. Jose. And it was combining both of these things we just talked about. I was on but the East coast. I was up to like one thirty. It was unbelievable. And off. I was Twitter. Hockey Twitter was at its best that night. Everyone was just stuff. like launching jokes from, from, from beyond. It was amazing. 360 just, Tomahawk oh, dunks. Unbelievable. Even content. though, even though 360 Tomahawk dunks on a team wearing Velcro shoes. There's just fantastic. no stakes though. Right. Like other than you watch them here the other night in Vancouver and it was a much more respectable performance than the time they lost 10-1, certainly. But other than William Eklund, who has nice moments every single night, it feels like that's really the only player you even need to become invested in in any capacity moving forward. Like, by the time this team becomes an NHL team again, is he going to be, like, the only guy from this group that is actually playing a meaningful maybe, role? Maybe Ferraro. 
Yeah, but even then, he'll probably be at like a different stage of his career. Totally. He'll kind of be yeah. like some veteran. As opposed- yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I, I, you're not wrong. It's it. Look, it's grim. It's just grim, which might not be bad. Like I think we've spoken about how like you probably want to keep a guy like Will Smith away from this, right? Oh, hundred like, percent. What's what's the point of this being the introduction to the league? It's like that's not a situation you want to put young players in. So, well, and at least the top guy in the draft is having a historic freshman campaign for BU and was a former San Jose junior shark so at least like if you're going to if you're going to be this like postmodern dystopian distillation like the worst possible example of a tanking team um this is the year for them to do it are you going to be turning out the uh macklin celebrity content once we get into the spring oh i've already done it oh you're already there oh yeah you can go check uh go check the athletic i wrote a big thing about his recovery that's right that's right i do remember that okay um but we're, I'll keep going. We're, we're, we're uh, sure there'll opportunity will be there. I was going to say we were joking before we went on the air, though. So the Canucks challenged an, uh, a goalie interference call, won it, took a bo- call off the board that would have made it one nothing San Jose, right? And would have dramatically increased how entertaining that game. And was. I'm only partly kidding. I think San Jose should be allowed to interfere with other teams' goalie. Yeah, I I mean I'm fine with that. Obviously, like, like within reason, to a level where like, it's safe. Like, I'm not saying taking guy. shots at the goalie, but yeah. like one guy should be allowed to be kind of skating through the crease at all times. I, I, I think because that means that they have the puck in the offensive zone. <laughs> it's already a miracle. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, there've been part parts like there, you know, they've played games this season where if they'd been credited with a goal every time they crossed the opponent's blue line, they still would have lost. So, well, they've played 18 games. They've give they've taken 250 fewer shots on goal. And they've given up. Stunning. They've yet to. This is a stat that I will be tracking. They've yet to outshoot a team in a game. The closest they've come was a game they lost ten one in to the Canucks, <laughs> where they, I think they got outshot thirty three to thirty one. That was the best shot share they've had in an individual game well, so far this season. And that when that game was decided, the shots were like twenty five to twelve, right? Yeah. So like it was just all the Canucks being like, "Well, let's uh, pack it in here." So. I think if we were redoing this, I would have the Sharks average to above average. That's how high I am on their watchability now. Okay. Ten minutes in, we've done only the Sharks, so we are not you know changing they, the course. They're such of... an anomaly, they deserved it. The next team we had on the list, this is one we definitely got wrong, was the Philadelphia Flyers. Yeah, they're fun. And it's because I think we all expected, right? It's like, oh, John Jorrell team uh, that's yeah. tanking. Uh, they have all these guys who just aren't good. They haven't played that way at all. I nope. did a whole bit with Harmon on, on Friday where – they're one of the best rush teams in the league. They're one of the best five on five teams in the league. They're they've got Owen Tippett dunking on people off the rush. They've yeah, like got Tippett, Farabee, Konechny. Yeah, like well, and, and I didn't realize the Couturier. I didn't remember how much I missed the Couturier experience. Mm. Yeah, it's they're they're playing in a totally different way, and, and they're like the top ten five on five team by every metric. The power play is the only thing that's that's brought them down. But ten seven and one with a plus eight goal differential is is remarkable. Mm-hmm. Um, Islanders thirty, Canadians twenty nine. Whatever we don't have to do that. I I do like that the Islanders right now are six six and five. They're one OT loss away from from six six six. A lose tribute to the Devils there. Wow. Um, Montreal. I just want to note. I think I've the speed that they have from the back end has made them more fun than I expected. Like Caden Gooley's been way better than I thought he'd be. Mike Matheson's actually fun. Um, so I, I think the Canadians play like faster. Than I anticipated as a five-man group. I just thought it would be fun, like, occasionally to watch Caulfield and Suzuki do stuff. But they've been a little more fun than I expected. Yeah. Well, if we could get, if you told me that every game was going to be three-on-three with Caulfield doing something, I, yeah, would, yeah. I would put them really high on this list. For sure. Um, the Ducks at 28. So, I will say, the caveat here is, at the time, we couched it with, 
we just got burned so badly by them last year that we cannot give them the benefit of the doubt. But we're keeping the door open. We're keeping the light on for them. And boy, have they rewarded us. <laughs> they're coming back down to earth a little bit here in terms of results, which we expected, yeah. right? They're not going to keep having all these crazy third-period third comebacks. comebacks yeah. But man. I, I don't think they're bad, though. Like, I don't think this is a... I don't think this is... I, I think this is a team that can get to, like, the mid-80s point totals. And if you make it to the mid-80s point totals, that means you're going to play some sort of game in the spring where it's like a win could catapult you into a playoff race. Like, I think they're at that level at least. Well, let's talk a little bit about a theory. I don't know if we've ever actually broached this on the air, but you and I have spoken. Uh, we do, spoiler, hang out on oh, our not yeah. recording shows. And we've talked a lot about how improvement by teams isn't necessarily linear from mm-hmm. one year to the next, right? I generally, people think like, all right, you're going to be bad. You're going to be at the bottom of the league. You're going to get a top pick. And then a couple years later, you're going to be 500. And then a couple, and then a year or two later, you're going to be fighting for a playoff spot. And then yeah. you're going to be a playoff team. And then you compete for a Stanley Cup. Where in reality, you might need to take those steps as a playoff team. We generally don't see teams go from lottery to like legitimate Stanley Cup contender. But for the most part, I think there's this accumulation of high-end talent that happens, and we don't see the results for it yet. And then all of a sudden, when it happens, it's like, wow, this team's just way better than we thought they had any right to be heading into the yeah. year. You're bad. You're bad. You're bad, but you're picked to improve, but you don't. And then all of a sudden, you're very, very much not bad. Right, <laughs> and we've seen that Carolina, New the Jersey. Devils last year were like the best example. The best example. I think we were hoping that Buffalo Devils would be too, that man. this year. I, I thought Buffalo, but I still think Buffalo gets there. It's just that it might be a year beyond what we expect. Also, they haven't been that bad. Like no, they've been fine, and Tage has been out, right? Like, I, and and it's not late for them yet. No, you know that team can still crest, especially if they get goaltending. Um, but I think the Ducks also have a shot. The Coyotes also have a shot to be teams in that mold uh, over the balance of the season. Well, I guess we'll do more on the Sabres later because we had them like top five, right? So they're not going to come in this conversation for a while. But to your point, in terms of like the the timeline here or expectations, a lot of the things holding them back right now beyond Tage Thompson being out is like Eric Johnson just isn't good at hockey anymore. Uh, Jeff Skinner shouldn't be playing on the power play. They probably just shouldn't. Like I understand Kyle Pozo was their captain and he just played his thousandth game but they probably have better options. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is older players actually dragging them down, and that's also probably something else that happens in the NHL quite a bit that we don't really talk enough about, where we tend to think of older players and veterans being kind of the safer option, right? It's like, oh, they've done this before. We can rely on them more. Young players are too risky. Their performance is too volatile. And then you get into these situations where it's actually the younger players who aren't the problem at all and are actually driving the bus and it's the older players who are kind of bringing them down or holding them back and restraining yeah. them in the time being. And so I think the Sabres are an example of that. Yeah. And it's a one year deal, right? Like at some point they can just move on. Yeah. And, and I'd expect them to, if, uh, if things don't change quickly there. So anything else on the ducks before we move on here? I mean, no, just the, I mean, just that Minchukov is so much fun to watch. Yeah. That's it. And the lads Elweger soon yeah. at some point. Yeah. He'll, I mean, they're going to keep adding guys who are a ton of fun. I do That's... like I do like the idea that, you know, I gave uh, Dallas Aikens such a hard time last year. And I got a lot of pushback. Or some pushback. I think people, for the most part, were in on the bit. But I got some people that were like, what is he supposed to do with this team? Like, it's clearly not good enough. And then you see, I understand, they added Minchikov, right? They add Leo Carlson. They, whatever, signed Alex Kloran and Radko Gudis. Like, they certainly got better from a personnel perspective. But everything you hear... 
from behind the scenes is Greg Cronin came in and essentially brought in everything that the Colorado Avalanche organization was doing in terms of preparation and like methodology and philosophy and all this stuff and how he wants his players to play and everyone just singing his praises. And it's a first year coach, right? He's fresh. Yeah. He's Every, got the, everyone's he's excited. It's got that shine, yeah. right? I'm sure at some point it's going to wear off, but just in terms of the impact of coaching and how difficult it is for us to quantify and know how much it's worth. In this case, you actually see that, all right, like you can actually trace back to what a new coach is doing here. And I do kind of, I find that very satisfying. Mm -hmm. It's not a situation we're often in, right? Where you can point to last year and then this year and be like, wow, this is just fundamentally different with a new voice. So, yeah. Uh, We also should just say, like, Mason McTavish might just be him. That's, I think think you can remove the might. Yeah. That guy's unbelievable. Yeah. He's going to be the next captain, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's, he, he just, he looks like he's going to be, Playing and doing outrageous things in really high stakes games for a long, long time. Now the next team on our list, the Blue Jackets. I had them twenty seventh. You had them twentieth, ahead of the Los Angeles Kings. Tom. Well, I didn't realize they'd reassign Kent Johnson. Playing in the AHL, can't even argue with healthy scratching Patrick Line just because he's been so bad. But then you like read the comments, and it, and it feels bad, especially. Like, just he's so sad about it, but also the fact that he's coming back from a head injury, and it's like, you just put it all together, it's like, this is such a, such a mess. I mean, it's this team's 4-11-4. They are minus 18 goal differential, 27th in scoring as a team. Ivan Provorov is the only player on their roster who's pacing for more than 50 points this season. Oof. Like, I feel bad for the coach, right? Because he was put in this spot where he wasn't obviously even their choice to be the coach and then right before the season they're like all right you're gonna be our head coach and then all of a sudden he's trying on the fly make it work and over tinkering and over managing and i saw the stat about how many different line combinations they've already used this season and it's a mess but for whatever reason a lot of people there can just get a free pass don't you feel like like especially with i guess the management in particular where for yeah. the, it's like i don't think they will at the end of the season though i think it's I think that bad. You think it's getting thing, late? Yeah, I think that I think the bad to to hire a new coach who doesn't even make it to game one of the regular season. I think is it's hard to come back from that. And you know the statement that they put out was basically like, you know, for stability's sake. But uh, it was pretty tepid. And then to have everything breaking down like this around the club. I mean, I I think it's going to be really hard for this team to sell continuity after the season if things don't change significantly there when i think you and i actually did a show at the start of the offseason i guess right after they brought in pro robin severson and you read all these fluff pieces of people being like oh the blue jackets are very serious about competing next season and then like you just critically looked at the roster you're like i don't yeah, like see why? The, i don't see also, also why but also yeah. i don't see a roadmap for that actually happening well and like the the Yurichik thing like he was told to get a place and then still sent down like none of it none of it makes sense it's strange on, on line a what what's the solution here do you think there is one because he's turning 26 in april i believe he's got two years left after this one at 8.7 uh, per uh uh, two goals in nine games, just the one assist, five on five numbers, about as bad as you can have underlying. Right, he's like hovering around the forty percent mark in a lot of the shares. Now, they... my my problem is, is I don't even see like the speed. Like my, my the answer I want to give you is 
you know, what if Lion A's a guy who's just capable of being like Phil Kessel? Like if right. you put him further down the lineup on a really stacked team. Right, power play, yeah. insulated scoring. But like I don't even see I don't even see that potential for him right now. And so I sort of worry if, you know, we're talking more like late career Mike Hoffman, like if he's just a DH. But Hoffman had some years on Ottawa there where well, no, he was legitimately was fast, per- like, like was legitimately well, very productive. He, I mean, watching him last night with the Sharks, like he can still dunk on guys. He's still like savvy, yeah, and, and hard to and hard to guard one on one. I'm just saying, like that's why I'm I'm not even saying like prime Mike Hoffman, like, mm. late career Mike Hoffman. All right, I think I think there's more to salvage here than that. I hope. Here's my here's my pitch for you here. Yeah. Why doesn't a team like the Ducks get involved here? Oh man, you've got the room for the next couple of years. Just, I'm speaking financially, would, would, right? Would you do problem for problem given what the Ducks have gotten out of Trevor Zegers this year? Is Trevor Zegers a, a problem? Well, I mean, he's not doing anything. Well, he's hurt. Yeah, but yeah, I think yeah, I think he, he struggled when he he struggled from a production perspective. I actually think there's some, been some pretty encouraging. I know he got benched the one game oh, as well, I, but I'm I, holding all my Trevor Zegers. I think stuff. I think I even defensively, clear. I think I've seen a lot of habits from him this season that necessarily haven't resulted in production. But yeah. I do think it's been encouraging. I don't view that as a problem. Okay, I just think in terms of like if you're if if Columbus had decided for whatever reason, like we cannot get more out of this situation and we just want to clear the room and either try to add elsewhere or whatever the direction of the organization is. I still think it's an interesting, very low risk like flyer for a team like the Ducks to take because you can add the money without worrying about it right now. And then if it doesn't work out over the next few years, you're not necessarily on the hook for paying picking up the tab on a next contract, right? But all I, of a sudden, I, I can see it. I, if there's if there's teams that should do it, it should be the Ducks like the or Ducks. the Blackhawks, right? Well, like those are the two teams. Yeah. Okay. Next on our list, Jets. We were certainly too low on them. The Capitals. The, the Jets have been, well, yeah. The Jets have been, I don't think I was too low on them as a team. I thought No, they'd from be, entertainment, yeah. Yeah, but for, I didn't think they'd play this loose given, you know, w- what we've seen in the past from this group and, and from this head coach. Yeah, um, but we, I think we also said, like, we feel like the personnel warrants them being higher, but we've also yeah. been burned by them. Well, and, and I mean, I still love watching Kyle Connor work to get open, and, and it's been nice that Nick Eilers... Uh, has had a a run of health here. The Capitals, I had them 25th on my list. You had them higher. And I was just like, I don't, I, I, the time has passed. I'm not interested in this. At the start of the year, they started so poorly. I think they were one, three and one. They were just getting shellacked. And I was like, wow, this is getting, this is going south really quickly. Since then, they're eight, one and one. Now they still, despite having this nine, four and two record, have a negative goal differential this season. And their shooting percentage is low. Their save percentage is high. Ovechkin's not really even scoring goals. It's It's been a weird season. I was probably too low on them or maybe too quick to write them off mm-hmm. as being at least like a relevant, competent team this season. But we'll see. On the one hand, the shooting percentage is so low where it's like, all right, they're going to... Ovechkin's, I think, beaten a goalie like twice this season on 60 shots. That will probably improve. But then they also have a negative goal differential and... They're, aren't a nine four and two caliber team so i feel like they've been one team for 10 games and one team for another game and i just have no idea how to rate them now yeah red wings senators flames blues wild those so are the next red five wings teams. senators flames. red wings you had 30th that was too low they're red certainly wing, not the 30th most red wings are team. fun 
Red Wings are fun. Senators are fun. Yeah. I would say those two teams have been more fun than we expected. Yep. I'd say the Wild must be like the lead, lead, a league leader in team that is less fun than I'd hoped. Yes. No, certainly. I mean, Kaprizov has not been himself this season. They have like a historically bad penalty kill. The goaltending hasn't been good. Yeah, well, it's and, been and, all over the place. And even things like, um, you know, uh, like weird stuff like, uh, you know, uh, watching Yoel Eriksson Eck make other people batty um watching marcus felino just destroy people like I, f- I feel like even those subtle things that i used to enjoy in wild games I-, I haven't seen as much of um and they just don't feel as crisp moving the puck yeah yeah i agree uh, i think there's personnel issues on that roster certainly and i don't think it's really a coaching thing as much as a, a construction issue yeah hurricanes 19th you had them 16 we had a whole bit i was listening back to it about how i wish that I had the uh, the guts to have them even lower, and I stand by that. Yeah, I mean, what they they they're um, they started the in... year like they they were giving up way more goals than than we're used to. They were scoring much more certainly, but yeah. I think for the most part, they are who they are. Yeah, which is much better than their results probably indicate so far. But yeah. also just in terms of, I don't need to rehash the bit about my uh, my preferences mm. on them. Well, I th- th- that team's going to be totally fine. Once the once their percentage is normalized, they're going to be they're going to win ten in a row at some point. Yeah. Uh, okay, Tom. Let's take our break here, okay. and then when we come back, we will do the top half of our watchability rankings. You are listening to the Hockey PDO Cast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network. All right, we're back here on the Hockey PDO Cast with Thomas Drans. Tom, we are doing our rehashing or revisiting of our watchability rankings from the start of the season. Re-revisiting in our case. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so we just did the Hurricanes. We're at the 18 mark with the Bruins. Um, any notes on the Bruins here? Because I think we this was we felt like, okay, this is finally the year where they take a step back. They've lost Bergeron. They lost Krejci. They've lost all their deadline additions of Orlov and Bertuzzi and yep. so on and so forth. It's like they can't, they can't do it again. Yeah. And yet... What are they, 13-1-3 and three or so far this season? Well, they were the last dance Bruins last year. We right. expected this, with, especially with Bergeron's retirement. But, man, I've fallen for this so many years in a row, right? Like, Tuka Rask retired, and I really thought that was it for the Bruins as this consistently elite team. And then Bergeron retired. I'm like, man, he's like both the best player and the coach of this team. It felt like he was holding everything together yeah atlas (laughs) holding the bruins at the top of the standings he wasn't that 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 infrastructure is so strong at this point you you've gotten a lot i think from guys like mcavoy obviously pasternak but like coil too has been awesome uh beecher poitras like they've just gotten more from centermen that i thought were you know like i was high on poitras going into the season but i didn't expect this right and um i certainly didn't expect you know, top line quality two way ace stuff from Coil, um, and then the goaltending. I mean, that's that's fundamentally the Bruins have this elite goaltending, and that's why they keep getting away with this. Well, there's a couple things they do really well, right? They had the infrastructure in place where, yeah, they don't have some of the names and in particular Bergeron, but it's a bit of plug and play where you can just people know exactly what's expected of them and yep. what they need to do, and then. If they're physically capable of doing that, in this case they have been, they can step in and kind of make it work. Special teams is elite, right? They're best in the league on the penalty kill still. Yep. Power play is top 10. And then just the goaltending where 
every single night they're going to have a top 10 goalie in there probably. Yep. And most nights that'll be good enough. Like that raises your baseline so much in the regular season where there's going to be a lot of nights where you're playing other teams who are playing on a second of a back-to-back or have prescribed the night off for their starter. And for the Bruins, they never have that happen. They never have a schedule loss in that regard. No. And they've had a pretty soft schedule to begin with, so we should note that where I'm not sure I would expect them to go 13-1-3 regardless in their next, um, whatever that is, 17 games. But especially, like, I think once they start playing better teams, like they played Tampa the other night, um, there's going to be a bit of regression in that regard. But, yeah, we were— They're still one of the best teams in the league. It's it's amazing. I don't know what year this conversation—we've been having the same one for five years now, but once again, just basically copy-paste Yeah, us— being low on them at the start of the year, and then us being shocked twenty games in. So. The the yeah the Bruins have disproven gravity. <laughs> it's it's really incredible. Now the Coyotes at seventeen, we were high on them. In fact, this was probably the team that we flag planted the most. I think. Yep. At the start of the year, right? Because along with the Sharks being bad, I think we should know that was that was. I'll give you credit. You were strong. I mean, I obviously I wasn't like I think they're going to be good, but I just didn't expect. I didn't really know that a team it was capable for a team yeah. in the modern NHL to be as bad as the Sharks team's been. I was really banging the Sharks are not just bad, right. but maybe historically well, bad drum before the season. Because they were being lumped in with Anaheim. Right, and there was just and no was, way. Yeah. yeah, there was just no way. So I, so I say those were the two things I feel like we were strongest about flag planting. Yeah, Arizona was the my personal one just because it was like, all right, 76 and a half. The imp, I think they were like 70-ish last year, and they were... Tr- still in that phase of cutting costs, trying mm-hmm. to penny pinch, trying to get a top pick. And then they made it very clear. I think they acknowledged once they decided to actually keep Nick Schmaltz and pay him more than his cap hit right. is, I was like, all right, they're actually pretty serious. Actions speak louder than words in this league. And they're actually serious about fielding a competitive team that is taken seriously in this league. And then they made a bunch of additions, right? They yeah. bring in a lot of like actual NHL players. And so... Their power plays carry them quite a bit so far, but I just think that it'll be interesting to see what their final landing spot in the Western Conference standings is because I think they're fourth right now in that central division, and they're right there with a team like the Blues. A lot of teams we probably expected to be above them heading into the year, like Minnesota, maybe even Nashville, then certainly some of the Pacific Division teams mm-hmm. have been not only poor from a win-loss perspective, but have shown... like legitimate reasons to be concerned about them the rest of the season whereas this Arizona team has some flaws certainly but I'm like higher on them getting better as the year goes along than those teams and so I'm very curious to see if they can actually compete for a playoff spot I definitely think they're going to be like high 80s point totals at the end of the year I I know their futures like their odds of making the playoffs plus four two five, which is about a nineteen percent implied probability. Um, my athletic colleague Dom Lecision has them closer to five percent. Um, so no delta there. But I like I like the idea that this Coyotes team could be a pretty intriguing spoiler over the balance of the season. Um, from a watchability perspective, shout out to Sean Dursey, uh, obviously like one of the patron saints of of my guest appearances on this podcast at the very least. Yeah, we're on a Cal Ripken-like streak right now of referencing Sean Dursey when you're on, on the air. Uh, he's, so. he's sick. Like, he's just so much fun. And, uh, you know, I saw his agent, Alan Walsh, tweeted, you know, some article that was like, no one expected this of Sean Dursey in, in Arizona. And it's like, well, I'm not nobody. 
know, I know a couple guys. I know a couple guys who are zero percent shocked that he's this productive with twenty three minutes a night on a team with a with a ton of top end skill. Now this range. Now, if you told me though, no one expected Lawson Kraus to be one of the hottest goal scorers in the NHL in the month of November. I'd yeah. say yes. Yeah, that would, is true. I would, if I was his agent, I would share that. Argument, <laughs> that, that is true. Um, the Canucks are next on this list, and once again, a team we were too low on. We underrated, I think, how much, how valuable from a watchability perspective, and I guess from a results perspective, like individual star power is here mm. now there's a lot of reasons we've spoken about for why they got off to the start they did i think just quinn hughes in particular leveling up the way he has though has brought along pretty much everything else for a ride in this case especially from a watchability perspective yeah i mean going into the season and and i think i've been just about as high on quinn hughes as it's like realistically possible to be ever since he entered the league but even i would have come into the season being like this guy's got a shot to be one of the five most valuable defenders in in the sport this year. I probably wouldn't have made the case before the season. In fact, I know I wouldn't have made the case that this guy's got a chance to be one of the five most valuable players on the planet. But but he has been like he has been without question through the first quarter of the season. Um, the way that he's shooting, the way that he's attacking as a shooter, uh, and then grafting that pretty seamlessly into all the cool stuff he's always done in transition as a playmaker. I mean, I think his level up is sort of not even being, I I, th- I know it's, I'm, I'm sure people are outside of the Vancouver market are actually sick of hearing about it. And yet I still don't think enough's being made there. I feel like so many people are focusing on, you know the the three guys who are scoring you know at the at the top of the league or the Rick Tockett effect or or Philip Peronic and and Quinn Hughes and what that pair can do together but like fundamentally we've seen an unprecedented glow up from an already great player to become just an absolutely dominant force uh w- with very few parallels elsewhere in the league right now well that's also cool because you take a player who was obviously already very good and productive and impactful and then there's been like fundamental mechanical yeah. changes with his shots, stylistic changes, like things he's doing that are manifesting themselves in these results. It's not just a matter of like he's playing the exact same way he played previously and now pucks are going in more, which they are, but he's helping that happen in some ways, right? Yeah. And one final note on this, like anytime you see like, all right, well, we need to be a bit skeptical of his impact because his five on five numbers aren't as good as some of his peers at the top of the position. I think it's important to know the context of how the Canucks use their top players, which is Quinn Hughes typically plays with the JT Miller line. He does not play with Lars Pedersen that much. I believe they've only played 80 ish or so five on five minutes so far together, which is like 25% or 20 ish percent of Quinn Hughes's total ice time. And that's very rare because teams typically just load up top line, top pairing. Let's get them out there for situations where we can, high leverage this into goals and that's not how this team does it no so it's impacting maybe Hughes's five on five metrics but it's probably better for the team's result well and I think Rick Tockett deserves a fair bit of credit for this which is that he's using Quinn Hughes to buttress JT Miller Phil DiGiuseppe and Brock Besser when he's feeding them to Tufts right and he's feeding them both territorially like JT Miller starts a ton of his shifts in the defensive end, uh, but also in terms of of minutes and, and matchups and how disciplined he is about sticking with them whenever he's got the option to. Um, and then 
he's using Pedersen to effectively give cover to a defense core that's relatively thin uh, against secondary competition. It's worked for this team. It's it's you know they're still not carrying play enough with their top six forwards on the ice, despite what I think is a pretty ingenious approach to maximizing what they're able to do on on a team level, but. Um, and and by the way, that remains a concern for me going forward for this team. Right. Uh, you know, they they're going to need to outshoot teams or out attempt teams, control more play with Miller and Patterson on the ice if they're going to sustain anything close to the start that they've authored um, in the first two months of the season. But you know, it, it, it's worth noting, especially in the context of like Hughes versus Makar, that Hughes uh, Makar's sort of five man group is McKinnon, Rantanen, Nachushkin, and Taves. Whereas Hughes's five-man group includes like Phil DiGiuseppe. Um, so, you know, it, it's really impressive stuff from Quinn Hughes. He's, I, I, I'm serious. I think the idea of a Canucks player being considered for Hart and it not being Quinn Hughes, I think, betrays a lack of understanding about what's really driven things for this team so far. Yeah. And just for comparison's sake, you mentioned that McCarr-McKinnon partnership, I believe like 70% of Makar's five on five minutes right. have been spent with Nathan McKinnon on the ice, which certainly yeah. helps matter. Right? Good like, gig if like, you can get it. Yeah, not too bad. Um, so yeah, I think that context is important. And if you like that, uh, some of those anecdotes you and I uh, on your show, Canucks Talk here on Sports Day Radio Network, did yeah. a defenseman draft with your co-host. Ton of fun. Where the three of us drafted six men defense cores. A lot of shenanigans ensued. I made fun of you for your Aaron Ekblad pick. Ekblad's awesome. I reached a little bit for Jude Audi. It was all sorts of, all sorts, <laughs> all, all sorts of fun ensued. I uh, made a lot of fun of you for picking Aaron Ekblad and I picked Jude Audi. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> so go check that out. Okay. Both great players. Kraken Predators next. I want to jump to the Kings after that. Sure. So we referenced them earlier in the show where we were both high on them from our watchability rankings, not nearly high enough. You had them below the Blue Jackets, which yeah. we, we already we belabored that point. We don't need to keep bringing that up. But I just think this Kings team, I've been so impressed with not only how fun they are, but I think how good they are. And I don't know if the market has caught up to it yet, right? Because I think we all have this idea of what this Kings team under Todd McClellan has been like the past couple of years. Right. And they've bumped into that ceiling in round one against an Oilers team that just had more high-end talent. When they felt like a foil. Yeah. Like, even when they pushed the Oilers took the series lead both in both series it yeah. always felt like felt ser- like serious yeah it, it, it always felt like they were a team perfectly calibrated to push the oilers without actually eliminating so them. so then Connor mcdavid could have his hero arc right exactly yeah it was like they're doing enough oh it's like it's like any sort of any sort of plot like that in a story where it's like yes mcdavid's like been brought down a peg and all of a sudden now he needs to really channel he has some sort of like come to jesus moment where like he reaches his low, and then all of a sudden, now <laughs> he like he overcomes it, right? And then and then he stands high and tall and proud. And the, they they're like the putties from yeah. um, Power Rangers, right. where it's like they've got you know Tommy in a chokehold as you go to commercial, but you're not actually worried about Tommy on the other side. Yeah, and so <laughs> I, I, that's yes, exactly. And I think they're just not they're fundamentally not that. No, like I understand. I understand to an extent the concerns of, I think, heading into the year where we're like, all right, they totally punted the goalie position. They spent no resources on Cam Talbot and Phoenix Copley. And then they brought in David Grittick as the third guy, sent him down to the AHL. And I was like, all right, how far can this take them? Which is strange because on the other hand, we're just kind of speaking out of both sides of our mouth here because we also all just agree that goaltending is very volatile and random and 
we shouldn't waste our time trying to predict it. What happens in front of them is just as important in terms of putting them in a position to succeed with the workload they have, the types of shots they face. And this Kings team is not only fundamentally different offensively, but they're one of the best like teams at defending the rush as well, limiting the types of chances they give up. They're so good defensively. So I think it's a spot where either one of those two guys or potentially like last year where they go out and they spend a first to add a Jonas Corposado, they once again could conceivably do that this year. There's so many outs for them that I think they need to be start being treated as not just a good playoff team, but a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. And I know that might be like a a step too far for some people, less than 20 games into the season. But I think they've answered a lot of the few remaining questions I had for them after last season. They look scary good. Um, From a watchability perspective, I think two things need to be shouted out really quickly here. One is the Byfield glow up. Yep. Especially especially from an entertainment perspective, right? Because he's doing outrageous stuff. Like he he's making the sorts of plays that I'm watching and I need to, you know, like hit the 10 seconds back button on my remote just to be like, "Wait, wait. What did I just see?" Yeah. Uh, and then and then obviously the Fiala Pierre-Luc Dubois um partnership has exceeded I think all expectations in terms of the offensive creativity that they've been able to graft onto the Kings usual like super disciplined north south structural game. And I think it's interesting because I was so high on what this Kings team had done this offseason and and the improvement that they'd make. When you add a top of the lineup caliber piece, I always just sort of say, you know, like the Kings and the Penguins for me were the only two teams that really brought in like star level new players into their group and when a team does that I always think let's not overthink this that's the most valuable thing you can do in this sport those teams are going to be among the most improved in the league and so I use that to sort of just be like really high on the Kings going into the season but I wasn't necessarily high on the watchability thing so I think I sort of fell not from an expectations of their team perspective but from a watchability perspective victim to that idea of like I know what the McClellan Sharks are and they play simplified north-south hockey and there's not a lot of uh, east-west movement they don't really care about generating quality chances there's and and I you know Dubois a great playmaker I, I think has had a far bigger impact on their stylistic um sort of attractiveness the attractiveness of the hockey they play than even I thought he would well and right now, I think they're ninth or something, or ninth or tenth in terms of like Stanley Cup odds for favorites. And I think we need to start viewing them as more of a top three to five caliber team than that sort of te- top ten range. Yeah. And eventually, at some point in that Pacific Division in the Western Conference, they're gonna bump into Vegas. It feels like, right? Sure. It feels like that's a collision course that's that's almost set. You know what though? This is what going zero goalie does to people's expectations. Right. You know, it's like no one believes that the team with everything but a goalie uh, is a contender, just like no one believes that the fantasy team with Brian Robinson and Raheem Mostert is a is a contender in week three of the fantasy football season. But, you, you, you know... The three people listening to the show that got that reference. Uh, <laughs> you get to the pointy end of the spear, and it's, yeah. uh, it's impressive. No, it is. Well, I mean, you know, the Kings, uh, they don't have a proven... Stanley Cup winning goalie, goalie quite yet like Aiden Hill, so it's, it's going to be <laughs> difficult for them in that type of matchup. No, I mean, they're stylistically, those two teams are just like, they're the one of the only teams in the league honestly equipped to meet Vegas's fastball in transition and match it step for step. Yeah, maybe punch back. And potentially even frustrate them because they're able to do so, whereas even a team that I'm high on like, like Dallas... You saw in that West Final last year, they weren't really able to get to that gear and that... No, capacity. they... they, they... 
they got truth serumed. Yeah. Right. Like Vegas showed us what the Dallas Stars are. Um, what's interesting is I do feel like the Kings are very much a mirror image, right? From from the punt goalie thing to like, hey, we've got a really good team. Let's bring in an elite playmaking center. <laughs> you know, uh, that's in so many ways it does feel like Vegas and L.A. are sort of circling around each other shadow boxing and have been for months in fact it almost feels like the kings have constructed a team in vegas's image to come for them um and look it's going to be a ton of fun Uh, the mobility of that blue line the way that they're able to play the possibility that we see brant clark at some point be a major contributor or or even just you know increase spence's role i think that guy can play legitimately um and then the the byfield thing is just such um like it, it adds volatility into their sort of projection, uh, but in a really positive way. I mean, if Byfield sustains what we've seen the last five weeks, they've got another star-level contributor at the top of their lineup, and that's going to make them, you know, a nasty piece of work down the stretch. Yeah, and Talbot's been great for them so far. I think he's like a 930 save percentage, plus five, right. save up expected. Now, I would expect that to come back down to earth, but here's the thing. If your biggest concern as a team or your biggest reservation for putting them into that Stanley Cup contender tier is goaltending, similar to how to feel about New Jersey, I'm fine with that. Yeah. Like if the skater talent is there and you're playing in an environment where you're going to make life easier for those guys and you have the firepower to potentially win games 4-3, 5-4, 6-5 if you need to, that provides you with so many outs for winning and also rectifying that moving forward that like that's where you want to be in as a team. So. It, it's all fun and games to have the edge and net going into a playoff series and then Ilya Samsonov outperforms, you know, Andre uh, Vasilevsky yeah. or Jeff Skinner outperforms Jake, uh, Jacob Markstrom or Sergei Bobrovsky, you know, turns four of five consecutive seasons being below average save percentage into, you know, an electric two-week run um, fattening his save percentage off Carolina Hurricanes point shots or, you know, um, Aiden Hill outduels Jake Ottinger. Like, at the end of the day, we don't really know. I, I think there's a humility in in the Kings' approach. Like, one thing that's sort of funny is Cam Talbot's been on this heater, and Phoenix Copley, who right. stabilized their season last year before the Corpusalo trade, has, like, massively struggled. And in three months, if, you're t- if you were to tell me three months from now that that script had flipped, that, like, Talbot had lost the starting job, but Phoenix Copley was playing really well, and uh, every, every night on... Um, hockey night in Canada headlines. It's reported that the Kings are kicking the tires on some other goalie. Like I'm going to be like, yeah, that all makes sense. Yeah, none of that surprises me. Yeah, that checks out. Um, okay, the Rangers twelve, Lightning eleven, Blackhawks ten. You had them five because you were you wanted to watch every single Connor Bedard game. Now, and I've done pretty close to it, and it's been a rewarding experience. But I think it's interesting here. The Blackhawks have exceeded my expectations in terms of the credibility of their team as like an NHL team capable of picking up actual points, not getting blown out. There, there's more of like a baseline fortitude that they have than I expected. And so in some ways that's made them less watchable, but more impressive right. as an actual hockey team. Uh, I thought there'd be a little more chaos, a little more pandemonium, a little more like, hey, we really need Connor Bedard to go off or we're getting blown out tonight. And instead it feels like, you know, if Bedard gets two points, like they're going to lose 4-3 or maybe win 3-2. Um, the the baseline competence that the Blackhawks have shown um, 
has exceeded my expectations and as a result caused them to massively underperform my expectations as a watchable team. Yeah, I mean, when he's cooking like he was in Florida for those oh. games, especially that, that Panthers game where it was like a matinee game, so yeah. it was an afternoon, everyone was... He was so good that I turned off in. football. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that's, that's about, like, that's about as strong a praise as you can give a hockey performance Seriously. these days. And I, I mean, I expected the team to be bad around him. I just didn't necessarily anticipate him to be do this much heavy lifting right away where he has twice as many five on five points as anyone else they're basically scoring goals as often like they have as many with him on the ice as they do without him except they've played two times as many minutes or even more without him it's wild um the power play scoring hasn't even come yet they're like 28th and now mm-hmm. something we're heading into the year we're like I'm concerned about his five-on-five game right out of the gate. I think there's going to be a learning yeah. curve there. He'll but in stationary attacking in. situations. Oh, man, is he going to let it yeah. rip? And there's just not enough threats around him, I think, to cobble that together. That'll come with time. But the fact that he's already producing without that is like a feather in his cap moving forward, right? So um, very encouraging stuff there. And in true PDO cast fashion, we're not even going to talk about the top 10 teams. Oh, really? We're out of time? Well, we got a couple more minutes. I mean, we had Panthers 9. I think that's about right. Yeah, like, I've been impressed with them, but they've been they've 10. been better than I thought. Yeah, the, at this stage of the season, like with Montour and Ekblad, like just kind of coming back, they've been better to watch and better in terms of actual quality than I thought they would be in the first six weeks. Penguins eight, Maple Leaf seven, Golden Knights six, Stars five, and then Abs four, Sabers three. Where we talked about that. Yeah, we we got that. Around. Oilers two, Devils one. There's been a lot of uh, yeah. We, we at the very extreme. We were, I think, in the middle. We actually had a decent feel. Yeah, we were too low in the low teams. We were too high in the top teams. Yeah, that's what I was saying at, at, at the top. Well, you and, know, what? maybe that's like a, that's a, a good re- lesson. A reflection, also maybe, of where the league is right now, where it kind of really feels like everything is kind of converging towards the middle. Yeah, although I still see it is, but at the same time, you know, we're talking about the teams that have, like, w- what teams have exceeded your expectations the most? They're the best teams. You know, like Boston. Right. Boston. Boston was LA. historically good. L.A., Vegas has been better in the right, early right. going. You know, like with the exception of Florida has done a better job of holding the fort than I thought they would. Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs, their staying power at the top of the Atlantic, like virtually uh, unchallenged relative to where I thought it might be, uh, given the state of their defense. Right, like they're, like, they're four best. Young upstarts around yeah. them, yeah. Right, like Buffalo, Detroit, like Senators, like these teams – are having such a tough time, actually. So I, I think it's it's an interesting thing where things are converging in the middle, and yet, you know, this myth of parity remains a myth. The absolute best teams are still the absolute best teams, and getting to the point where you're like a New Jersey Devils caliber group, actually capable of banging on that door, um, requires just such an unfathomable mess of talent. The best teams stay the best. As Oilers fans listening to this are like, oh, God, I wish that were true. Uh, All right, Tom, we're going to get out of here. I'll let you quickly plug some stuff on the way out. What do you want the listeners to check out? uh, Theathletic.com. We've got our Black Friday sales on, so check us out right now. That's the first first I'm hearing of this. Why aren't you guys 
promote that anymore. Oh, I tweet that four times a day. Don't worry about it. Just uh, <laughs> check my Twitter feed. But but go check it out. Lots of good stuff. Uh, had a good JT Miller piece uh, up, I think, uh, this week. It's prospect Stock Watch. We'll have report cards as the Canucks hit the quarter mark. Uh, a mailbag, a bunch of stuff um, like that. So check that out. And then, uh, obviously, Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Awesome, man. We'll keep up the great work. We'll have you on again soon. Uh, looking forward to going to watch Canucks Kraken in Seattle with yeah. you over the weekend. That'll and some football. Absolutely. And happy American Thanksgiving to all your American listeners. Oh, absolutely. Um, and we'll be back soon with plenty more of the PDO cast. Thank you for listening to us here on the Sportsnet Radio Network.